0: All right, with that said, let's go ahead and get into the Word of God tonight. We are continuing on in 2 Kings. Let me get my notes up here. Uh, 2 Kings, chapter 3. We never finished chapter 3 last week. Now, as we go through 2 Kings, there's going to be some parts that are a little bit drier because there's a lot of history involved. Uh, and so w- we may skip little portions here and there or just summarize And because and, uh, the point of this is Bible study. You know, we want you also reading your Bibles at home. But uh, also, it's not always comfortable pronouncing all these names up here from the the lectern. And if you don't believe me, just come up here and start pronouncing the names, okay? No. But uh, there might be parts that we'll kind of skip over or summarize just because uh, they're a little bit lengthy. But uh, they're important details. We just can't really expound on them much. But with that said, we're picking back up in the life of Solomon Uh, as he has become king and God has given to him wisdom. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into the word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this night. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we're blessed just because we're in Jesus, Lord. That you've shown us your unmerited favor. You've given us this wonderful grace through your son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, as we understand the life of Solomon and the kings of Israel, Lord, may we learn to heed you to to obey you may we learn your heart and honor you in all that we do lord we do pray uh, your will be done your kingdom come as earth as it, uh, on earth as it is in heaven and lord we look to that day when you will reign again here on this earth until then lord let us be faithful with your gospel and bringing it to all peoples of this earth and we pray all this in jesus name amen all right, so we're picking up in chapter three. Solomon has just had a dream, uh, and God has basically told Solomon to ask what you want, and uh, Solomon said that he wanted wisdom, and then God said, well, because you didn't ask for riches or power to conquer or these sorts of things, I, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you all these other things, all these riches and all these things. I'm going I'm to multiply your kingdom and, and do all these wonderful things uh, for you. And that's where we pick up in verse 16 tonight of chapter 3. And we get an actual uh, example of Solomon's wisdom. Verse 16, now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maid servant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had borne. Then the other woman said, no but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Now, uh, already you can imagine if if you in your wisdom uh, trying to discern who's telling the truth about this thing, very difficult because you're dealing with a little child. But, but uh, as we... Kind of look at this story and the problem that's going on. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. First of all, the two women were harlots or prostitutes. Some translations. There have been some translators that have said, "Well, maybe they were innkeepers." But you know, if you go through all the translations uh, in the English, almost all of them put prostitute or harlot. Hebrew though can be a little bit vague, so it, it's possible it could be innkeeper. Not really sure. But you can already tell that there's an issue here just in the dealings with each other. I mean, just ask yourself what kind of a person would steal another person's child. Uh, the situation is already terrible. Uh, that One of them would have rolled over or, or uh, smothered their baby in the night. But then to take that dead baby and put it in the other one's bosom and then take, take their baby, it's just a terrible situation. Well, the first thing I want to say about about King Solomon is that he's willing to listen to these two harlots, these two prostitutes, if that's what they are. I I think already that says a lot about King Solomon and his desire for justice and being a just king over Israel, that he welcomes these two into his court and hears their problem. Second thing is, uh, as we get into this, we're going to see the... The wisdom that he displays as they're both arguing and both saying, no, the live one is my son. Verse 23, and the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. The other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Verse 24, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. How gruesome, right? Verse 26, And the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And and she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Okay, now we see see the problem. Uh, This woman is so wicked. Verse 27, So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now, this is important because it, it, Solomon's wisdom is becoming famous throughout Israel. God is answering that that uh, request of Solomon that he might not have wisdom, because remember, Solomon basically said, "I'm a child when it comes to this. I don't, I don't have what it takes to judge Israel." To make these decisions for Israel, God, I need you to equip me, and so God answered that, and here we see god 's given him this wisdom and I, and on a side note, I just want to uh, make a note to you parents that no one except the Lord God will love your children the way you do, okay the Lord God can love loves your children more than you 'll ever love them okay that 's just a fact but but no one else in this world will love your children as much as you do the parents the, 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 in, in a normal sense, provided that you guys aren't in total depravity. So I, I just want to challenge you not to trust other people completely with the care and education of your children. This goes to your schools, your... Uh, the the when the kids get on YouTube, when the kids get on social media or whatever the case is, don't trust other people to love your kids and care for your kids and protect them the way you would. Okay, that's just, don't do that. you got to protect your kids. And I know it sounds, sounds foolish to t- tell parents that, hey, you got to love your kid and protect your kid. But the fact is, is we sometimes get uh, a little bit into a normalcy bias sort of thing where we're just kind of used to things going on. We're used to loving our kids. And it's hard to imagine that people could be so depraved as to want to destroy or harm our kids. Uh, certainly this woman, when we hear about a story of this, where she's like, yeah, okay, no one should get the kid. Like, what? How, how could she be so depraved that she would say, yeah, cut this baby in half so none of them gets it? Well, that's, part of the sin nature. And, and, is, and Solomon knew to go to that parent's love and, and make his judgment based on that. So I want to encourage you parents in that as you're raising your kids, recognize that just no one will love your kids the way you do and care for them. All right. For, uh, chapter four, verse one. So King Solomon was king over all Israel. And these were his officials. Now here's a list of officials. And I just want to say this. I want to point out a couple people to you. Uh, There's Jehoshaphat, the son of el If you kind of skip down there into verse 3. And Jehoshaphat was actually, he served under David. And Jehoshaphat continued as a recorder in Solomon's kingdom. Really what you kind of name him if you had an equivalent would would be the secretary of state, so, so to speak. So that was Jehoshaphat and he continues on. Also, you're going to see another name that we thought we got rid of, but he shows up again. Uh, In verse uh, 4, Abiathar the priest. So we get a list of different priests, and Abiathar shows up. And if you remember earlier on in 1 Kings, uh, in chapter 2, verse 26, Solomon got rid of Abiathar because he backed uh, Rehoboam. And uh, so now he shows up in this list again. Here's what I want to say about this. Solomon pushed Abiathar out to another area. He couldn't take away his title as priest. That, that wasn't for the king to do. Uh, so Solomon doesn't take away his title. But he, uh, so that's why he's listed here as a priest. Uh, going on from there, uh, verse 7. And Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel. Who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. Now, one of the things about Solomon's wisdom was it wasn't just uh, good for judgments and being just over the people of Israel, but Solomon was a wise, wise manager. Uh, when you see the, the structure of his court, the structure of, of his governors, his officials, He was very good at managing people to manage things. And and there's a lot of order involved here in Solomon's reign. Uh, And it's quite a bit more than David. David kind of was building up his kingdom. He took over from Saul. David was dealing with a lot of wars and fighting and things like that. But Solomon is really managing his kingdom well with all these individuals. And he puts order into this. Uh, he, he delegates many things. One of the things he delegated was these 12 governors over all of Israel uh, who collected the taxes from the different areas of Israel. Notice that each of the 12 governors provided food for the king and his household uh, one month out of the year. And there's 12 months of the year. One month the food was provided for the king and his household. And we're going to see the list of food for the king and his household is quite a bit. Uh, And it would make sense because not only did Solomon have a huge administration, but he had 300 wives and uh, uh, 700 concubines eventually. So it just took up a lot of food. Uh, But uh, So these governors were responsible for collecting the taxes and doing those things. And so we get a list of the governors in Solomon's reign. Uh, when, When you're dealing with how to manage, I want to challenge you because some of you are managers over businesses, managers over your households, managers over many different things. All of us, for the most part, get opportunities to manage at some point in time. You call upon the name of the Lord for wisdom. Uh, It is amazing when you call upon the name of the Lord for how to do something or, Lord, I just need to have a good understanding of how to do this, how the Holy Spirit will just equip you to do it. Um, and so, so much more, not only did God bless Solomon with wisdom, but he he has that same wisdom that he can give to you as well, so don't be afraid to call upon the name of the Lord for gaining wisdom to deal with your business, your everyday life, your household, whatever the case is, so uh, going on there after the, uh, the governors, we're going to skip down to verse 22, Uh, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I skipped too far, we're going to skip to verse 20, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in the multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines. As far as the border of Egypt, they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of milk, 10 Fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted, uh, fatted fowl. Well, let me, I actually read a little bit too far here in this passage. I really wanted to just do 20 through 22, 21. Uh, but uh, here we see that there's a full, uh, the beginning of a fulfillment of a promise. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea and the multitude. Now, anybody remember where that promise showed up? Abraham, thank you very much. Shows up with Abraham now, but there is something important to realize with this. We're seeing that this is truly the golden age of Israel's reign currently, but that promise given to Abraham was not a conditional promise. That is, this is what God's going to do, and He's going to establish. So, although Solomon starts to see some of that promise flourish, we're going it doesn't last in the scriptures, and we're going to see the. The kings that come after Solomon have problems. We're going to see uh, the kingdom completely divided. We're going to see all sorts of problems. But, uh, but it, we're starting to see this flourishing of Israel. And, and God is blessing Israel. They're eating, drinking, rejoicing. They're no longer going to war. They're just building their numbers. Their population is growing. And uh, Israel is truly being very much blessed. Look at verse 21. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. Now, this is uh, part of that promise to Abraham that I want to bring to your attention. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Not only did God call Abraham out and God said that I'm going to multiply your Children, as many as the stars in the sky, or as grains of sand on the seashore, but then God expounded on that promise, that unconditional covenant to Abraham, and Genesis fifteen, Abraham actually asked God. Sorry, I move my phone; it's bothering me. Uh, Gen- uh, Abraham actually asked God, "Well, how will I know this will be so?" And so God says, okay, get a fattened calf, and that's where God has him split it. And then God uh, puts Abraham into a trance, and he sees this flaming pot move between the animal. But in verse 7, God says to Abraham in chapter 15, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. So God gives a promise, and and earlier on God has had Abraham, he tells him, That, you know, look as far as you can to the north, look as far as you can to the south, look to the east, look to the west. This land I'm giving to you. But we're not quite given borders for that. And here in chapter 15, God actually gives borders to Abraham. Go down a little bit farther here to verse 18. And in verse 18 it says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. Now here's the borders. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergeshites, and the Jebusites, uh, and the Jebusites. And so God actually gives some land territories to Abraham, helping him understand here's the borders I'm giving to you. Now in First Kings Chapter uh, Four, as we start to read those borders, it sounds like we're close to those lands, or at least Solomon has control over some of those lands in first King uh, but i'm going to show you a difference here, so go ahead and turn back to first Kings and it, i'll get to what I'm trying to explain here, kind of having a hard time all right first Kings uh, it says that Verse 21, so Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So Solomon here is actually receiving tribute from these other kingdoms, but that's not technically Israel's land, although he's reigning over it. God's promise to Abraham is this is your land. This is yours. You're going to have it. And this is what I'm giving to you. So you could say to a certain extent a certain uh, extent that, that God had fulfilled most of his promise here. But the problem is, is when God made this covenant with Abraham, it was not conditional on Israel's obedience or anything else. This is the last time you're going to see Solomon in Israel reign over this stretch of land. Even today when you look at the borders of modern day Israel, and I tried to get a good map, but I, I just couldn't put together a good map of this. Modern day Israel, it falls short. The Nile, it's the uh, uh, Wadi. Let me. Uh, I wrote it down here. Wadi Al Arish is the name of of the river of Egypt today, modern day. Uh, it doesn't go up to uh, that that. Ex- Their southern border doesn't quite go far enough. And their northern border doesn't include this land either. The northern border, if they had this land that God had promised to them, it would include a major chunk of modern-day Syria and Damascus. Okay? So, did God not know what he's talking about? Uh, Some some Bible scholars will try to tell you that it's figurative. But I'll tell you right now, this is why you know that God's not finished yet with Israel. Because Israel has yet to receive this land promise. And that is a big part of what God is going to do during his millennial reign. As, as when, he, when Jesus returns as their conquering king and establishes his kingdom for that thousand year reign here on earth. Which you can find there at the end of Revelation. You will see that, that these land borders will belong to Israel in the future. Uh, Israel will have all their borders. So when, when people try to tell you, well, God got close enough. Listen, your God does not get close enough. All right? Your God does what he says he's going to do. And, and I, I, I hate that when when uh, people, and they, when they talk about eschatology, they try to say, well, it's close enough. Because I'll tell you right now, I don't want my salvation to be close enough. I want to know that I have salvation. And that's what he did for me in Christ. And just like he promises what will happen in the end, he will do. So this is called the Palestinian Land Covenant, okay? Uh, you, so we, we often refer to it as the Palestinian Land Covenant. It, it is a strong argument that God is not finished with Israel today. So uh, you can just kind of highlight that verse or whatever, write in your Bibles, Palestinian Land Covenant, and put not yet, uh, close, but not yet, uh, so that was, uh, and Solomon eventually loses it, which again, God didn't say that uh, this was conditional based on obedience, this this land that they were going to have. All right, now the, going on to the provision. So 10 fattened oxen, uh, <laughs> let's read this for a minute again. Uh, so Solomon's provisions for one day, 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen. And uh, it's from the pastures and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. This man has a gluttony issue. I'm just kidding. This is not all for him, obviously, but it's just funny that it says Solomon's provisions for one day. Uh, This is a lot of food that he's going. And so uh, this is, uh, you could estimate this food uh, could feed anywhere from 15,000 to 30,000 people. Uh, it's a lot of food. So this is all the people that he was taking care of. You, this kind of gives you an idea of how large Solomon's administration and his reign was. Well, if, if you haven't got it yet, we're going to see more here. Verse 24, uh, it says, for he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from Tipsaw even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So what we see is God. Solomon brings in what David had set up, God had given to David. Solomon brings in this golden age where Israel's at peace. There's no wars being fought. They're just prospering. And notice that each man dwelt safely under his own vine, his fig tree, vine and fig tree. That's an expression in the Bible. Uh, Zechariah 3.10 is another place where this shows up. It says, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So, so this is speaking of, of the, that day, that millennial reign of Christ, that a day is coming... When God will bring peace back to Israel. The day hasn't come yet. Anybody see that uh, uh, (laughs) rockets love to be lobbed at Israel on a regular basis? Well, uh, that day is not today where they're dwelling under their fig tree or their vine safely. It's just not happening. Uh, But that will come come about. So uh, it's an expression of peace. So next time you want to just explain how at peace you are, just say, I'm just sitting under the fig tree and the vine. You know, you can use that. I don't think it will catch on as well, but anyway. (laughs) Uh, So there's uh, this extreme peace that's going on in his kingdom. Uh, Solomon had, verse 26, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen, and these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. Uh, I'm going to try to Manny, I'm going to try to send you a picture real quick, or Katie. I forgot to give you this, and we'll see if it works. Uh, I have a picture here of a stable. Now, uh, these stables, it was told that there's no way Solomon had these type of stables. It uh, looks like, there you are. Uh, there's no way Solomon could have had these stables. But as they started digging throughout Israel, they find out that, oh, look at that. We're finding these stables from Solomon's reign. And uh, I'll have a picture coming up here soon. But while that's sending uh, very far across the room, uh, 40,000, let's talk about 40,000 horses. Now, in Chronicles, it actually gives the number of 4,000 so there is a question about whether this is a copyist error, or a Hebrew error, error, we're not really sure, um, but I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 40, because when you start to understand the size of his reign, how many chariots he had, uh, when you consider raising uh, equine and all the horses that that are needed uh, to to continue raising up for his chariots, I wouldn't be surprised, he had a, a 1,400 chariots, so... Uh, so it very well could be 14,000. I, I don't think the picture is going to get there. It's, it's stalled. Anyway, uh, sorry about that. I'll show you individually, each and every one of you. I'll show you. Here's the picture of that. But you can just Google it. Uh, there's plenty of pictures online of Solomon's stables. Uh, now, I want to point out to you something from Deuteronomy. Let's all turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And we're, we're going to look at a couple of verses here in Deuteronomy. If I can find Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, God gives some commands for when Israel has a king. And Because God knows what ultimately is going to happen. And God even warns Israel about it. But he gives, within the law, he gives these rules and and, uh, safeguards for a king. And in verse 16, some of the rules he gives uh, of chapter 17, verse 16. He says, uh, but he, speaking of the king shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Uh, So God tells Solomon, or tells Israel that the king, when they eventually have a king... They're not to keep multiplying horses. What's the big deal with having a great stable with lots of horses? Well, it's not about horses. It's about having an army. It's about power. And and horses were meant for pulling chariots and chariots are meant for war. And, and by multiplying horses, you're saying, I'm gonna trust in myself. By multiplying wives, you're starting to look elsewhere outside of the boundaries of which God had created marriage. You're also beginning to look... To other wives, which we see Solomon do as well, as he multiplies his wives, he adds on many foreign wives who lead him to worship other gods. By multiplying money, uh, again, you see a king that's no longer dependent upon God, but dependent upon his money, his horses, his women. And unfortunately, Solomon broke all three of these commands in deuteronomy he he didn't keep any of them and to his detriment turn over to proverbs uh well i'll bring up proverbs 30 verse 8 real fast for you you can turn back to second King, first kings proverbs 30 verse 8 says this remove falsehood this is solomon writing remove falsehood and lies far from me give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with the food allotted to me Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. So Solomon wrote this proverb uh, that has got such great wisdom that he's saying, Look, I don't want to have uh, poverty or riches. I don't want to have uh, falsehood and lying. I don't want to uh, have food or, or be needy, too much food or be needy. Basically, I just want to depend upon you, Lord. And, and that's what we need to do. And, and so don't don't let us get uh, taken away by poverty or riches. Poverty causing us to steal. Riches causing us to depend upon ourselves. Don't allow us to be so full of food that we don't depend upon you at all, Lord, but we also don't want to starve. It's good wisdom that Solomon gives here in Proverbs 30, verse 8. The problem is Solomon didn't listen to his own wisdom. He forgot his own wisdom as he grew and became wealthier and wealthier and had more peace and more peace. And uh, let me just say this. The solution to your problems isn't wealth. It isn't nothing to do. Uh, It isn't uh, just uh, unending peace. The solution to your problems is just dependence upon the Lord for everyday everyday things. The solution is looking to the Lord. Look at verse 29 of of, uh, 1 Kings 4. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan and Ezrahite and Hermon and Chalcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal, you guys all know them, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon." This is an incredible testimony to what God had done in in Solomon's life that he had given him so much wisdom and and the wisdom wasn't a narrow form of wisdom that it was just good for judgments. He had given him a wisdom to even understand the natural creation. He's talking about trees and plants. He's talking about animals and creeping things. He just has this wisdom. He's compared to all the known wise people of the earth at the time and it's saying Solomon just far exceeded all these people. And and so much so that men of all nations and kings of the earth came to Solomon just to hear his wisdom. They just wanted an audience with Solomon because he was so wise. Solomon was given everything, but Solomon, we see in in God giving him all these things, we don't see that ho- Solomon's heart stays true to the Lord, but rather we see it wander away from God. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty eight. Uh, Let's go back over to Deuteronomy. I've got you guys flipping the Bible. We're going to do Deuteronomy, and then we're going to go to Revelation. I didn't tell you guys, sorry, in the back about about Revelation. Um, Deuteronomy and uh, verse 28. I'm having trouble finding chapters in my Bible tonight. Deuteronomy 28. Now, God is giving blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy 28, and... In verse 9 of chapter 28, it says, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. This is a promise to Israel, not just a promise to a king. Just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and the the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandment of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So in the blessings, God is basically telling Israel that if you heed my commandments, I'm just going to continue pouring out blessing upon your nation. Uh, you're going to be the head of all the nations, a light to all the nations. And uh, certainly we can see that in America's history. As as America's birth, you see this amazing wisdom that comes to our founding fathers that just seems to be lacking today and in recent times, right? When you start reading our founding fathers, you say, this is amazing. And truly, you can see God's blessing, not only God's blessing on the, the, our founding fathers, but if you ever read the documents about the, the Revolutionary War, and you, you read about some of the miracles that happened during that Revolutionary War, you can absolutely see God's hand of blessing as our leaders continued to pray and seek God. Now, it didn't mean that they were perfect. We, we know that they were not perfect. But we had people who were seeking God and God's blessing being poured out. Now, this promise was to Israel, not to America. But we can see that there is something that when we honor the Lord, he blesses. He just continues pouring out blessing. And, and why is that? It's so that the other nations see that your God is the Lord God. That the other nations would know that Israel's is the head, not the tail. They're not being swayed by the rest of the nations in the world. Israel is completely led by God and thereby being leaders. And, and God would give this great wealth. But the problem is Israel, every time they started to get wealth, they started to turn away from God. And then over time, they, they wander away from God. And, and I want to say this about, about wealth. Wealth is not always the sign that God is blessing. Wealth can can be very deceiving. We shouldn't look at wealth and say, oh, well, we're good. Because if you turn over to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's two churches here I want to point out to you where God speaks to them and they have an issue with not believing God in his word. So the first one, actually chapter 3, The first one that I want to point out to you is the dead church. The church in Sardis. Jesus says in chapter 3 verse 1 these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead. So you have this reputation of being this lively church but you're not. You're really dead. Look at to the uh, go over to verse 14. When we go to Laodicea, it says these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, look at this. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Uh, You have these churches that have these reputations and even this comfort level that God has given to them that's different from the other churches in Revelation, but what you see is they're completely uh, uh, disobedient to God and what he desires them to be one is saying it has this reputation of being alive but they're totally dead. They're not doing what they should be doing. What 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 gives life to a church? What gives life to a church? What do you think about that? Growing in, God. Growing in Christ. Yeah, discipleship. Holy the Holy Spirit. Being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. What are the things that give life to a church? Sharing the gospel. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be a life-saving station. What do life-saving stations do? They save lives. That's, that's the part of the purpose of the church, to, to, to share the gospel, to disciple, make disciples of all the nations. And, and the sad part is this church here is saying that, hey, we're alive. We have a reputation for being alive, but Jesus is saying you're not at all alive. And and then the the Laodicean church says, we're rich. We're comfortable. We have all the bells and whistles and the gadgets. We've got everything. You know, we don't need anything else. And there's a lack of dependence upon Christ and a total dependence upon man. And Jesus says, you say you're rich, but you are poor. You are really poor. Man doesn't always know how to evaluate life or riches And oftentimes as God blesses and grows, what we see is man depends less upon God and less upon those things that God has called him to. Let's not be that kind of a church. Let's be a church of people who are dependent upon God, dependent upon His Holy Spirit, and and not trusting in our own wealth, not trusting in our own comfort, but faithful to do what He's called us to do. Sad that Solomon went so astray, and we'll, we'll see more of that later. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. And uh, Lord, we know that you can bless immensely and richly. And Lord, uh, we just come before you and we say, search us and know us, Lord. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know our, our deceitful thoughts. You know the things that we do in rebellion against you. So Lord, now we confess those things to you. Forgive us of sin. Forgive us for looking on the outside and not just looking to you. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful fellowship, and we want to continue to be completely dependent upon you, receiving everything you have for this church. And, Lord, let us be faithful to take it out into the world that people might know you. We thank you and we give you all the praise, all the glory. Everything is because of you, for you, and unto you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Um, if you guys could, I would love for you. All right, Sullivan Stables. Boom, there they are. <laughs> That's what all the big fuss is about, a bunch of ancient ruins, but there they are. Uh, well, with that said, uh, don't forget to pick up a, f- a little uh, brochure on baptism. Do that study at home. Let us call the church office. Let us know that you want to be baptized so we can prepare for that. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give you his peace and his joy. Amen.